Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Mark Cravens has been a pastor, Bible college professor, denominational leader, as well as an effective evangelist. This sermon was preached back in 1998 at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hope Sound, Florida. It's a much needed sermon. It's titled, Forgiveness. I know you'll enjoy this wonderful sermon. Keep passing it on and on. Well, you're a good-looking crowd this morning. Thank the Lord you're here on this Friday morning. We're at that point where we're all a little weary and our socks are dirty, and here we are, Friday morning. And we thank the Lord for his help. Appreciate so much the ministry of the Word. Brother Agin, thank you for all the ministry of the Word that you've been bringing. Brother Barr, the ministry of the Word. Those that have spoken through the afternoon service has been a challenge to my heart. Well, I, as I came to the platform, was looking out over the crowd this morning, I was reminded of something that happened a few months ago. I was going home Sunday morning, and I was going home in a little pickup truck, and my daughter Jacinda, one of the older t twins, was riding with me. She's blonde and blue-eyed and, and kind of the soft-spoken one of the family. The Lord knows we needed at least one soft-spoken one in our family. But nonetheless, we were coming home in the pickup truck, and we were riding along, and she looked up at me and rolled those big blue eyes at me, and she said, Daddy, I really liked your sermon this morning. Well, my father's heart just kind of welled up inside of me. And I looked over at Jacinda, and I said, Well, Jacinda, what did you like about the sermon this morning? She kind of rolled her eyes and she said, well, Daddy, it was a whole lot shorter than most of them. <laughs> the only difference between children and we adults is they're more honest than we are, right? <laughs> so I'll try to remember Jacinda this morning while I preach and trust the Lord will help us. I don't always do this, but... This morning, as I was praying and meditating about this service, I felt like the Lord directed me and laid on my heart to try to finish what we started the last morning that I spoke about this matter of forgiving other people. I realize that the crowd has somewhat changed, and there are those here that were not here two mornings ago, but I still feel like the Lord would have me to try to finish these few thoughts this morning with you and trust the Lord will help us 
and give us direction and give us instruction that we might too forgive one another. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 18 and would you stand as we honor the reading of the scripture this morning. Matthew chapter 18 and we'll read once again. Begin reading in verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents, millions of dollars. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, a few dollars. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet. I guess if someone had grabbed my throat and shook me, I would too. And besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, and they were very sorry, came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after they had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not or ought not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again we stand in awesome need of divine help this morning. We understand, Lord, our limitations, and we understand this morning how incapable we are to try to endeavor to do thy work without your help and anointing. But we have comfort and courage in the fact that, Lord, you are here this morning, and that we are here, Lord, by divine appointment, and you are here to give us strength and help. Give us listening ears and open hearts this morning. And speak to us through thy word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. The other morning we spoke on the subject of why must I forgive. In the story that Jesus gave, the man's master, his Lord, said to him, Ought not you to have had compassion? Should not you of all people have understood why you must forgive? We talked about this matter of forgiveness, that it's not, that it's not the same as forgetting. 
and that forgiveness is something more than an emotion or a feeling. But forgiveness is an act of our will whereby we resign our personal rights to retaliate. And by the grace of God and His power alone are we enabled to return good for the evil that is done to us. Forgiveness is not giving someone what they deserve. But forgiveness is giving others what they do not deserve. For you and I, when God forgave us, He didn't give us what we deserve, ladies and gentlemen. We don't deserve to be Christians this morning. We don't deserve to be redeemed. We don't deserve to be blessed this morning. We don't deserve all that God has given to us. But He gave us that which we did not deserve. He forgave us of everything. We spoke on the fact that we must forgive because of the certainty of life's hurts. will necessitate it. All of us are going to be hurt in life. All of us are going to be unfairly treated in life. Every one of us. And we must forgive. Second, we notice that we must forgive because we are called in this life to express the kingdom of heaven through our lives. Jesus said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this. This is what it's like to live out and express the kingdom. And the whole story is teaching us about what it means to live in the kingdom. And I want to remind us this morning that the kingdom of heaven is not something way out there that someday we hope to go to. But Jesus taught us that when he came, the kingdom of heaven was at hand and that you and I in this life here and now enter into kingdom living. In the prayer that he taught us to pray, he said, Pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm called now to live heavenly in an ungodly world. Do you know that? Our, we, we don't belong to this world. We don't belong to this world system. Our citizenship is in the heavenlies. But I'm called to be a missionary. And I'm called to portray my heavenly citizenship while I'm here on earth. I'm to express the kingdom. But I want to hasten on. I must forgive thirdly because if I want to be like Christ, I must forgive. It's easy for us to sing that song as I mentioned the other day. I have one deep supreme desire that I might be like Jesus. It's easy to sing that song, but I want to tell you something. It means something else when we walk out the doors of this place and we encounter the hurts of life to look at the one who has hurt us and to treat them as Jesus would treat them. If I want to understand forgiveness, I need to closely examine the life of our Lord. I'm not going to take the time this morning to go through all of the examples of Christ and His forgiveness that He laid down and modeled for us in His life. But I want to at least look at one, and that is that scene there in the Garden of Gethsemane. There that night as our Lord sweat as it were, great drops of blood, as He prayed that prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but Thy will be done. There as He earnestly prayed with His face to the ground, and there as his disciples slept and Jesus prayed through the night. 
But now he arises and through the distance we can see the flickering of the torches as the mob makes their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Here comes Judas leading the way and he comes and he kisses our Lord upon the cheek. And I've often marveled at the fact that while our Lord was there sweating as it were great drops of blood that when Judas kissed the cheek of our Lord he tasted the very blood of redemption. And our Lord looked at him and said do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss Judas? But now the disciples, here they are. They hear the commotion. Here is the mob coming to get Jesus. And there Jesus stands before this angry, howling mob that is ready to take him. He knows that they are going to abuse him. He knows they're going to spit in his face. He knows they're going to pluck his beard. He knows that they're going to mock him and strike him. They're going to eventually kill him upon that cross. He knows what this angry mob is about to do. And Peter reaches down and grabs a sword and does what anyone probably would do under those circumstances. And he says, you're not taking my Lord without a fight. And without thinking twice, he pulls the sword and he swings it, intending to catch a neck, but he only got an ear. And I'm thankful that the man ducked. But as he ducked, he caught the ear of the high priest's servant and he severed that man's ear from his head. But I want you to catch a picture of forgiveness. Jesus looks at these men who are coming to take him, to abuse him, to mistreat him, and eventually nail him on the cross. And what does he do to these who hate him and have such animosity against him? It says, and Jesus reached down and he touched and he healed the ear of the very man who came to kill him. Friends, I don't know about you, but I can find very few stronger portraits of forgiveness than what I see there in the life of Jesus. That he could look at those who came to crucify him and he laid aside his personal rights to retaliate and by the power of divinity he was able to return good for the evil done. I want to tell you this morning, anybody can raise the sword like Peter and swing and cut and slice and sever. But it takes the grace and the power of God to reach out to people who have hurt you and return the good for evil. But I want to hasten on. Fourthly, I must forgive because my own spiritual health necessitates that I forgive. Across the years, I have looked at men and women who have not been able to forgive, who have harbored bitterness and unforgiveness in their life for many years. And the thing that I have noticed is that whenever we are unwilling to forgive, that bitterness, that underlying unforgiveness eventually pollutes our whole being. I know people this morning that I believe have literally lost their minds because they have never been able to forgive. I could take you to one man 
And I know him well. And I could take you to that man today who for some 20, nearly 30 years now has nursed an old, old, old grudge about something that happened way many years ago. And the man has nearly lost his mind because he has not ever been able to come to a point where he could forgive that man for what he did. Turn with me for just a moment and look at the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. And I want you to look at what I believe are the fruits of unforgiveness. In chapter 4, verse 29 of Ephesians, Jesus said, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness. And I got to look at that word bitterness, and one commentator said that word means a smoldering resentment towards. Let all bitterness and wrath rage that gives vent under the passion of a moment, and anger, that deep internal hostility, and clamor, a fighting spirit. And evil speaking, slander, malicious gossip. Let all of that be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. But when I read that, I realize this morning that if I do not from my heart forgive other men their trespasses, that I run the danger of allowing bitterness, that underlining, boiling, brewing resentment to come into my life that will manifest itself in malice and evil speaking. And ultimately, I will grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I want to remind us this morning that we don't have to go out here and get drunk or we don't have to go out here and commit some awful sin to grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives. All we have to do is be unwilling to forgive and we will grieve the Spirit in our lives. I know some people this morning that would never think about going to a picture show or never think about going to a tavern or never think about going to some of the places of iniquity. But they have every much as grieved the Holy Spirit as the man who does because they have never dealt with that smoldering resentment that still is in their hearts. Smoldering resentment. You know, I several years ago, my first pastor, when I was pastoring in Brent, Alabama, there was a, some large hedges that were out in the backyard, kind of ran across the property line just a little ways behind the house, and they were huge. I mean, they were some of them were 10, 12 feet tall, and I decided to get rid of those hedges. So I got a saw, and I worked for days, and I cut down, and I hauled off all those hedges, and I got down to just the stumps of those huge hedges. Those stumps were probably two or three inches around, some of them. And I got down to those stumps, and I didn't really know what to do, and I didn't really feel like trying to hoe all of those stumps out. So I thought, I'll do it the easy way. I'll burn these stumps out. So I looked around to see what I had, and I know it was foolish to do it. But I looked around, and I couldn't find any kerosene, but I did have a gallon jug of gasoline. <laughs> you know, gasoline's highly flammable, by the way. Don't try this. 
And I went and I soaked down all of those head stumps with that gasoline. I soaked them all down and I struck a match and I threw it. And poof, I had a wall of fire and all of those stumps were burning. I went and got busy doing something else. And a little while later, about an hour or so later, I came back and the fire had all gone out. But the stumps were still there. And I thought, well, got a little progress done. I'll soak them down and we'll light it again. And so I went and got that gasoline and I brought that about a half a gallon or so of gasoline out there. And my cat, Dixie, good southern name, my little cat Dixie came along and she was standing there beside me watching what I was doing. I thought that all the spark and all the flame was gone. I didn't know that there was still something smoldering that had never extinguished down in there. I took that gasoline and I started pouring it on those stumps and I hadn't poured it but just maybe two or three seconds and all of a sudden, whoo, that thing ignited. The stump ignited. The jug of gas in my hand ignited And I did what would be the normal reaction. I threw the jug of gasoline down and Dixie ignited. And around the yard she went just like this as fast as she could go. One whole side of her, a ball of fire. And she went all the way around the yard going around around she went and up under the house. And I thought, oh, no. I got down and I said, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Come on, kitty, kitty, kitty. Finally, she came out. The worst damage was her whiskers were kind of all curled on one side. And one ear, the very tip of it, was kind of awkwardly bent. And it looked like somebody had just shaved her on one side. But she was fine. But I learned something. I learned that sometimes, though it may appear that all the all the fire is gone and all of those hot coals may look like they're out. That if there's still a smoldering flame, it doesn't take much to reignite it again. And here Paul is saying, beware and remove from your life that smoldering resentment. Have you ever been around somebody that had a smoldering resentment? All you had to do was mention their name and suddenly you got your ear full of things you didn't want to hear about that person. Suddenly, you mention a situation and all of a sudden it's like it happened yesterday and there's anger and hostility and evil speaking and malicious gossip and suddenly that thing that seemed to you didn't even know it was there but at the mention of that name at the mention of that circumstance and suddenly that deep hostility arises again and manifests itself what is it unforgiveness i know it's quiet here this morning But I want to say something to us this morning. This matter of forgiving other people is extremely important to us. We can hoop and holler and shout and we can do all kinds of things. But if we're not willing to deal with that underlying resentment that smolders down in our hearts, you and I may not be as close to the kingdom as we think we are. 
I don't mean that you'll never forget what happened. I don't mean that there may not be times when emotionally you will once again begin to feel what's happening when you begin to think about that again. But you have laid aside all personal rights to retaliate. And when someone mentions that person's name, you're not looking for or taking advantage of an opportunity to hurt their name and ruin their character because you've laid aside your personal rights of revenge and instead you return good for evil. It not only happens in laymen's lives, it can happen in preachers' lives. I can remember a time in my life I had all my, all my pastorate, I had seen it happen in people's lives, but I remember when it came so close to my own life. And I remember when there was a misunderstanding between a brother and I, and it was a strong misunderstanding. And I remember there was one particular discussion this brother and I had, and it was a strong discussion. And some things were said that hurt me and wounded me. And I don't believe the man intended to hurt me and wound me, for he was hurting himself. But in that conversation, I decided that I had put up with it long enough. And I raised my voice and I shouted and I verbally put that man in his place and let him know I was not going to take that from him. I was right, I thought I was right, I believed I was right, and I wasn't going to take it from him any longer. And finally that scene broke up. And while I won that argument, I lost something. I lost the sense of peace in my heart. And I remember as the days went on, God began to deal with me about that. And one day I was sitting in my office... And I was rethinking that whole thing over again. And I was sitting there and I was gritting my teeth. And I was thinking if I get another chance, I know what I'll say next time. I'll really say something next time. And I was sitting there gritting my teeth and thinking about that. And all of a sudden God spoke to me and said, Mark, if you don't extinguish that bitterness in your heart, that thing will ruin you. Ladies and gentlemen, it was as wrong for me to harbor that unforgiveness in my heart as it would have been if I'd have went down to the corner tavern and got drunk. And I realized that what I had done and what I had harbored in my heart was ungodly and wicked. And I got down on my face and I said, Oh God, I'm sorry. Please remove all of that smoldering animosity, that bitterness out of my life. I went to my brother, a man who I love and look up to and plan on spending eternity with, and I went to him and I said to him, I said, my brother, I still feel like maybe I was right, but I was completely wrong in the way I responded to you. My attitude, my actions. I didn't treat you like I would have wanted to be treated. I was wrong. I want you to forgive me for being unwilling to forgive you. 
I don't know how you feel about this morning, but I believe on the authority of God's word that this matter of unforgiveness, if we allow it to rest in our hearts, it won't take very long until it will spiritually destroy us from the inside out. And there will be enough hurts in life to sour all of us if you let it. I haven't met the saint yet that didn't have enough happen in their life that if they would have, it could have soured them. But by the grace of God, they were enabled to forgive. One more point and I'll close. I must forgive because I have been forgiven. And of any of the reasons why I must forgive, this reason is the greatest of them all. I must forgive because I, Mark Craven, standing here this morning, I am only here for one reason, and that's because one day God so graciously forgave me of all my sins. He blotted out all of my transgressions. He washed the record clean by His blood. He forgave me of all my sins. Therefore, I don't have any right not to forgive. I want to remind us again this morning that if any of us make it to heaven, it's only going to be because we've been forgiven. I, I don't care whether you were raised in Sunday school and you went to church all of your life. If you're going to make it to heaven, it's going to be because you've been forgiven. This man, his Lord said to him, should you? Not have forgiven. I mean, look at what all I have forgiven you for. I forgave you of an insurmountable load that you could never have paid for. I forgave you of all of that. Should not you of all people have been forgiving? And should not God's forgiven people be the most forgiving people in the world? For we have been forgiven. Aren't you glad this morning that you're forgiven? Hallelujah. I don't ever want to graduate beyond getting blessed over the fact I'm forgiven this morning. Jesus forgave me of a debt. We sing that song. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt that I could not. Thank God he did pay that debt for us. A debt we owed we couldn't pay. But he forgave us of all of it. Paul said, be tenderhearted and forgiven, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And that's why you and I forgive the world out there, because we are forgiven people. And we of all people ought to understand forgiveness. But Jesus said that when you stand praying, Forgive your brother his trespasses. For if you do not forgive, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. I don't want to forfeit my forgiveness this morning. I've not made it yet. I can't run the risk of not forgiving. I close with this story. Major Riggs is a man about 65 years of age. He's, he's a major in the Salvation Army. Major Riggs is a little man about 4 foot 10, but he's a man that loves God with all his heart. 
Major Riggs and I met several years ago, and one day he told me the story about his mother, and I've never forgotten that story. He said his mother was raised in a drunkard's home. Her, his mother's grandfather had been a devil worshiper. Her father was an alcoholic. She was raised in a home in which there was no love, but it was a home filled with abuse and neglect. She said her, on one occasion her little sister, who was just an infant, was crying one night and wasn't, wasn't getting any better, but cried and cried and cried. And finally her drunken father had all that he could stand. She said, my father went in there and he took that child and he beat the child until the child died. She said, my brother, my older brother, 19 years old, came in the kitchen one day and looked at my father and said, I just feel like my life is useless. I feel like nobody cares. I'm just going to go blow my brains out. Her drunken father looked at him and said, well, why don't you go do it and give us all some relief? And he did. But he said, my mother was when she was nine years of age. One day she was in town, and there the Salvation Army was having a street meeting out on the corner. And she went and she heard the band playing and the music and she was attracted and she went over and he said, my mother stood there and listened to the Salvation Army street meeting and said when the street meeting came to a close, she went forward with others and knelt there beside the curb of the street. And there as a nine-year-old girl, she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ. Don't tell me this morning that our children cannot come to know Christ at an early age. If we wait until they're 17 and 18, we're making a very vital mistake. She went home. And she went into the kitchen and she told her daddy, she said, Daddy, I've become a Christian. I'm a Christian now. And her drunken father, whose father was a devil worshiper, looked at her and said, we'll have no Christians living in this household. And he grabbed her by the hair, took her down to the cellar. He tied her to a post, and he beat her with a chain until her nine-year-old body slumped in the floor in unconsciousness. And her drunken father went upstairs to leave her there. The next morning when he came down, she was still alive. He untied her, took her up. It was Christmas Eve and snow was on the ground. And he said, there'll be no Christians living here. You'll have to live somewhere else. And he shoved his nine-year-old girl out the door into the snow and locked the door. And she didn't know where to go. She wandered to town. I'm not telling you a make-believe story. I'm telling you a true story this morning. She wandered to town, and she asked about the Salvation Army, and somebody directed her to the Salvation Army, and she went there, and they took that nine-year-old girl in, and they loved her, and they raised her. She married a fine Christian man, and from her descendants, her lineage, came 14 people in full-time Christian ministry. Isn't the grace of God something wonderful? But the years rolled by, 
And her father is now dying and he's laying on his deathbed and he calls for her. She walks into the hospital room and there he lays, just a shriveled form of the man he used to be. She walked in and suddenly the whole rush of memory and all of that came flooding back to her across the years as she stood there and looked at her dying father as he coughed and fought for air. She walked up to his bedside. She looked down at him and he looked up at her. And then he couldn't even face her and he turned and looked at the wall and he said, Oh, daughter. He said, I don't know how in the world you could ever forgive me. But I am so sorry for what I've done. Now the world would say it serves him right. It's about time he got what he deserved. But friends, we live in the kingdom of heaven. And it's radically different to live in the kingdom. She looked down at him and this is what she said. She said, Daddy, Jesus has forgiven me of all my sins. And because I've been forgiven, Daddy, I forgive you for what you've done. He looked at her and he said, you really mean that? You forgive me? She said, yes, Daddy, I forgive you of all that you've done. He said, I don't know how you could do that. And she said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And she talked to him about Jesus. And she said, Daddy, would you like for Jesus to forgive you of all your sins? And he said, I certainly would. And she led her father to Jesus Christ. And he died and he went to heaven. Because she who had been forgiven could forgive I wish this morning that we could have a real revival in our movement in my denomination in your denomination in your local church in your family I wish we could have a revival of true forgiveness and I believe if we could once again practice forgiveness, if we could forgive one another and bury those old things and extinguish all the smoldering resentment, God could give us revival and renewal and could make us winsome to a lost and dying world. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, by the way. And the reconciliation needs to begin at home. I must forgive, for I have been forgiven. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't want to lose the fire.